Welcome back to the Baseball Plug. I'm your host, Michael Fleischman. Alongside me is my co-host and good friend, Nicholas Bear. Nick, how's it going? I'm doing very well today, Micah. Last show before the new year. Just finished up with Christmas. It's the holiday season. The weather is amazing in LA right now. How are you doing today? Um, all right. We're looking for a, for a new place to move to. And it's been a process going, going through the motions again. Uh, this would be the third, fourth time moving. I don't know. But going through the motions, the walls are barren. But uh, we are here. And we are joined by former major leaguer turned influencer slash broadcaster xavier scruggs xavier thanks for coming on hey thanks for having me fellas i appreciate you uh allowing me to use the platform uh looks like a pretty cool thing you guys got going on so appreciate you uh, we appreciate you uh we're gonna talk about a little bit about your career talk about the lockout a little bit and then a fun game that i whipped up so let's just go right into it So before before we uh, before we play any more games or talk about the lockout, why don't we why don't we learn a little bit about UX? How, tell us about you for those that don't know. Yeah, man. I guess uh, where do I start? Um, I, I grew up in San Diego, California. Went to Poway High School. Um, always loved sports: baseball, basketball, and football. Played all three, but realized that. Baseball, <clears throat> baseball was going to give me an opportunity to get a education um, in college. I was drafted out of high school, but I turned that down to go to college, went to UNLV, Las Vegas, um, figured that, you know, since I had been drafted out of high school, I was going to give myself three good years in, in college to really get that other, uh, another opportunity. Um, God willing, I got the opportunity, was drafted by the Cardinals, played seven years in the Cardinals organization until I got to the big leagues. Um, so I was in the minor leagues for seven years um, and then ultimately got to the big leagues, played for them a couple of years in the big leagues, as well as the Marlins in 2016. And then I took my talents over to Korea and played over there for a couple of seasons. Um, amazing experience there. Um, you know, n- nothing like the big leagues in, in the United States, but Korea was something that I, I hold very close to my heart because um, I had the opportunity to really play every day and just kind of just be myself without worry about being up and down minor leagues, big leagues, minor leagues, big leagues. I could just focus on, you know, winning with a team. And so that was an amazing experience. Um, got to learn a lot about that culture. Uh, my, my first son was born in Korea. So that was amazing. Um, started a YouTube out there, which was, um, something that my wife started so people can really dive in and see what the culture is like out there and and what it's like playing out there. And then came, um, in 2019, I played in Mexico. I was looking for an opportunity to play back in the States. Didn't get that opportunity. Um, so I went to Mexico, played for the, uh, Leones de Yucatan. Um, and in Korea, I forgot Korea. I played for the NC Dinos um out there and then i played for leonis de yucatan in mexico that was an amazing experience as well and then 2020 i wanted to play again but i tore my achilles and that's when i said um you know what it sounds like god is like telling me it might be that time um because i was 30 what was i 32 at the time and you know you see young guys now in the big leagues 1920 so i was like you know what it might be a good time to transition and that's when I kind of stepped into this media space, this creator space. And it's, it's been a blast, but that's, that's kind of been my journey, man. 
I want to talk about a little bit about the minor leagues. So you mentioned you were in the Cardinals organization for seven years and you had a really good run there. Uh, you were an all-star, an all-organization all-star multiple times, 800 plus OPS. And something that's been really big was the way that minor leaguers were treated, the lack of housing provided, the way their food was given to them. And Major League Baseball announced that they were going to provide housing for minor league players. Can you talk to me how big that is? Because, you know, when, you, when you're bouncing around from place to place, bus to bus, and you're not making a whole lot of money to, to have housing and that kind of stuff provided for you, how big is that? Man, that's huge. Um, you said it like you think about you're not getting paid, um, you know, the, the amount of money that you probably should be for playing in the minor leagues. Um, so being able to have some an organization step up and provide the housing, that's the biggest like weight off of the shoulders, because a lot of times you go to these different cities and first of all, you're not even familiar with the city. So you're trying to get your feet wet, learning about the city a little bit. And then comes the burden of trying to find a place to live. And a lot of times that the team will support you in a hotel before you find a place to live for maybe three to seven days. And, and we all know that maybe three to seven days is not enough to find a place that you're going to plan to live on, let live in for six to seven, maybe eight months. Um, so that's, what's really tough. And then a lot of times you have, um, people that take advantage of players, minor league players, they assume that you're making a lot of money because you're 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 with the Cardinals or you're with the Brewers, whoever it may be. And a lot of times these landlords, these people that are affording you an opportunity to live in an apartment, um, they want to charge you out, out the wazoo because they know you're only going to be there for six to seven months and you can't make a long term commitment. So um, the, the, the organization taking over that is huge. Um, I'm very happy. Some, there were some teams that were already contributing to doing that. Um, but now you get to see it to where all the teams will take care of that. So that's that's big for the minor league guys. Yeah, you know, bouncing around. And I, I remember Clint Frazier, uh, who's now with the Cubs, who's with the Yankees, shared a story uh, last offseason that it, it was like four people in a two-bedroom apartment. They were sleeping on the floor. And these are AAA players. They are right on the heels of the major leagues. He had, you know, been up and down from, from the Bronx. And for a player who needs to keep their body intact, needs to sleep a lot, you know, needs to yeah. be in pitch-perfect condition for them to – kind of not have that even in the slightest it's, it's a big deal that you know that clubs are providing that for them now definitely and I think about you know there was times when I I was sleeping on an air mattress um you know in an apartment with four other dudes it might have been a two-bedroom apartment um and it's like you try to do it that way the players try to do it that way to one save money but then also understand that you're in a place that you're usually uncomfortable, unfamiliar with a lot of times. So if you're able to be with as many guys as possible, that helps you be more comfortable as well. Um, and, and that ultimately allows you to use money for other resources, you know? So being able to, as a minor leaguer, that's one thing you're always worried about is like, how am I going to save this money? Because it obviously does not stretch a long way. Almost like a glorified college experience, but you're playing baseball. Yeah, I mean, some of the, but some of these colleges, you know, these D1 campuses, some of these D1 facilities, the the way that some of these D1 teams, especially, and, and, it, and it happens at D2, D3, junior college, like some of their resources are better than what you'll see in the minor leagues a lot of the oh, yeah. times. So you, you think about it, some of these guys – 
go from some of the best facilities, best resources to all of a sudden, like almost nothing, it seems. So that's an eye opening experience within itself. Yeah, Xavier, uh, first off, I want to personally thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it. And uh, no secondly, you know, you mentioned that you were in the minor leagues with the Cardinals for seven years and how the equipment and housing and all that is very difficult. Why stick with it for seven years? Why didn't you leave? What what made you want to keep waking up every day and live through that to eventually reach your goal? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And and for me, and that answer is different for everybody. For me, it was more along the idea that I, I saw the improvement within myself and I always felt like I was going to be a big league player. Um, so f like that's what woke me up every day. It was like, okay you know what, you're going to grind this out, but uh, you see the evidence that you can get there one day. Another thing that I saw too, was a lot of the guys that I played with or who I came up with. Um, I saw them getting to the big league. So that motivated me as well, knowing that, okay, you know what, I'm, I'm just as good as so-and-so, or I'm, I'm right there uh, athletically, you know, offensively, defensively, whatever it may be with whoever that, whoever my peer is, I know I can get there. So I think those are some of the things that motivated me. I'm a big faith guy. Um, so knowing that I had my faith behind me, that was something that always continued to motivate me as well. Um, and just, you know, I had the right people around me too. Honestly, that's, that's one of the biggest things is surrounding yourself with the right people. So whether that be family, mentors, friends, um, guys that kept me in check, like that was, that was big for me. I, I knew the goal, um, was, was stronger than, you know, the negatives about the minor leagues. And, and who was that one, who was that one person in your life, that mentor, that person who kept pushing you to go forward? Who was it that made yeah. you stay where you were? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it wasn't just one person. There was multiple people, honestly. Like, I wish I could say there was one dude, but it wasn't. Um, a lot of it was my parents. Um, I had my brother uh, motivated me as well. I had I had my best friend from college. His name's Kyle Kretschmer. He was one of the ones that, that you always need one that keeps you like down to earth. Like if you have a good week, he would remind me, hey, you struck out five times last week. So you need you need to keep it up or something like that. You know, so someone always to keep you down to earth and not get your head too big. Um, you need that. And then I had a my my roommate most of the time was Jermaine Curtis coming up in the minor leagues. And we always had a lot of talks about, you know, some of the things that we want to do to continue to get better. So he was one of those guys as well. Um, and, and I had my close family friends with Ozzie Smith, um, David Justice. I talked to a lot when I was uh, coming up. Uh, Ryan Ludwig, who was with the Cardinals as well. He went to UNLV. So I had a lot of people in my corner, man. I was I was very blessed in that sense. And then you get the call to uh, to go to the big leagues. When was it? Twenty fourteen. Was your yes. first crack in the big leagues? What was that yeah. like? Talk, talk me through that. Man, that's that's uh, indescribable, man. It's like you, you think about it. You've been working so hard for one thing your entire life. Um, that like getting when drafted. It, yeah, Again. exactly. It's like, you know, but actually this time what it is, is it's like the dream has actually come true and you'd almost don't believe it because it, it, think about like the best dream you've ever had. And, you know, you don't want it to end. You don't want to wake up. Like it's almost the opposite. Like I felt like I was like, wait a minute, is this, is this the real thing? Like I, I can't, I, I don't know. And that's just how exciting it is. Like I get chills thinking about it right now because more so the 
thinking about all the work that you put in all like and all the people that I was talking about that encouraged me and and you start thinking about like when you were five six years old putting in the work and, and doing ground balls with your dad playing catch whatever it may be all those things were, were meant for something and that's ultimately what the kind of the pinnacle of of what it is about getting to the big leagues and then ultimately it's about performing and trying to stay there as long as possible but the feeling is is unreal. It's like you're on cloud nine. I still remember walking into the Brewers clubhouse for the first time. And uh, Mike Matheny, who was the manager of the Cardinals, when I got there, was like, hey, X, like you're in there. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm, like I'm in the lineup like the first day I'm already in the lineup. And he's like, yeah, you're in there. Let's go get him. And then I remember walking out um, to the dugout and like nobody was in the stands. This was like way before the game. And I looked up and I looked all the way around and did like a 360 around the stadium. I was like, this is the biggest stadium I've ever played in in my entire life. The most seats I'd ever saw. So that's when it like sunk in that, yo, this is the big leagues. Like this is you're putting you this is you're here for performance. You're here to put on a show like this is not no five people in the stands and single A type stuff. This is the real deal. So I was juiced, man. And then you said earlier when you went to when you went to the Korean baseball organization, the KBL, that you got consistent playing time there, which was something that never really happened in your three year stint in the big leagues. Was that frustrating, you know, knowing you'd worked so hard and knowing that you were a good player? Because your minor league numbers speak for themselves. You were really good down there and just never really got a shot. Yeah, extremely frustrating, man. And, you know, I, I, I told you guys. I knew what I was capable of doing. I knew I was going to get to the big leagues, but I just didn't get the opportunity I felt that I deserved. So th those times in, while I was in the big leagues was extremely frustrating. Um, but at the same time, I knew that there was going to be an opportunity when I got to Korea. And I think that's when something kind of settled in and was like, you know what, now is an opportunity for you to kind of erase everything that happened in the major leagues and now you have a guaranteed contract. You have an opportunity to worry about just playing for one team. Like when you're in the minor leagues, you're so focused on trying to get to the next level mm -hmm. that it's really hard to stay team focused. And so that's what can be mentally frustrating too, as a player is like, man, I'm trying to ball down here and you could be balling in triple a and double a and still not get called up. So then you're beating yourself up. Like, man, what did I do wrong? And the same thing goes for the major leagues. You could be balling up there and they may not consider you someone that's going to get that type of playing time. So somebody else may always be a priority over you. And then you're like, man, what else do I need to do? Um, so when I went to Korea, that thought process wasn't in my mind anymore. It was like, okay, I'm with this team. We're fighting for a championship. Let's just go do what you know you're capable of doing. And did that make stuff easier going to overseas and, you know, being in a place where you were an outsider, you know, you didn't speak the language at all and you, you raked. I mean, you were fifth in OPS across the league that season, third in home runs. Was that like knowing that you were going to play every day and, and that you had a guaranteed contract was did that like kind of relax your nerves that you had and allow you to write? Hey man, my man's does his, does his homework, man. I was you up did. to like 4am last night. <laughs> I'm serious. That's what's up, man. No, that makes me feel good. It reminds me like, yo, I did do pretty good over there. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, man, it's just, I think it, it was a big weight off of my shoulders. Um, 
I could kind of be who I wanted to be as far as like personality wise. I think that's one thing about being up and down from the minor leagues to the big leagues is like, you never quiet. really feel, you never really feel comfortable. Yeah. Right. And you're always like, man, can I kind of be outgoing and be myself? And it's like, especially when you come up with a lot of veterans, um, you know, so it's, it was a different situation to where I felt like I could be more open. I could joke around a little bit more. Um, like you said, I didn't know the language as much. So like, I wasn't bothered by what people are saying or, or whatnot and, and what people, how people view me. Um, I just was focused on going out there and, and performing, man, and enjoying the culture. That was one thing too. Just trying to dive into the culture allowed me to take off a lot of that pressure too. Pretty easy to joke yeah. around when your OPS is four digits though. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. That's, that's another thing. Like when you watch these guys in the major leagues, make sure that, that the ones that are joking around when their OPS is close to a thousand are still doing that same joking around when their OPS is 700 around there. Yeah. You touch on the culture a little bit, but I mean, going to Korea is obviously a huge move, leaving the States and all that. What's the game and day-to-day life out there? Like how, how did you get through that outside of just, playing games and being yourself how'd you get through all that like that had to be a little difficult no yeah it wasn't easy um the transition was not easy the transition on the field was easier than off the field so like baseball is baseball you know you're gonna wherever you're playing it's the same game same rules um but out off the field was where the transition was a little tougher thank god i had a translator um kong marusol Shout out to Kong Marusol and shout out to Daniel Minky Cho, uh, my two translators that were the best ever, man. Like, so not only on field translation, but everything off the field, too. So if I go to a restaurant like or if I go picture this, like you're going you're in Korea, you're looking around. Remember, the alphabet is not the same. Right. It's different characters. Like, so you have no idea if this place is like the dentist office or if this place is a restaurant or if this place is like a supermarket. Like, you don't know because you don't know. Like, if like Mexico is different because the alphabet's similar and you can, or the alphabet's the same and you can kind of put words together and translate it. You can't do that in Korea. So, it's not even heavily, on the same playing field. Yes, heavily <laughs> uh, weighted on the translator. And then, um, so like being able to make sure that like food and being able to go to the right places that I need to was really important early on. And then um, I think the transition of trying to figure out kind of like their culture and and their values and their respect, because a lot of things are different when it comes to, um, you know, some of those cultural differences. And and I think getting used to some of those things and, and a lot of them are very positive, like, respect factor is huge over there so if somebody's even a year older than you like you owe them the utmost respect so if 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 somebody if you know somebody needs a drink of water like and they're one year older it's it's respectful for you to go get them a water um so age is a big thing over there so there was a lot of those cultural aspects that i had to learn and kind of get used to and then it made the dynamic of being on the team a lot easier because i could i could recognize those things Right. And, and, you know, that's must be kind of scary. But when you're when you're settled into a team after a little while, does it it kind of, you know, calm your nerves and you're you're kind of like, okay, I'm here. I'm doing what I need to do and I'm doing, you know, what I need to do plus more. 
Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Once I start, another thing too, I forgot to mention is, so the team that I was with, their spring training was in the United States. It was in Arizona. So, um, and uh, why can I not remember? Oh, Tucson, Arizona. So I was able to kind of be comfortable in my own country while still getting to learn some of the players, um, learning the team. And then when I got over there after spring training, it had made things easier. And then also I had a lot of guys on the team were already familiar with, I came behind Eric Thames. Eric Thames was right before me. And so they were familiar with a type of player that comes over and making them feel comfortable um, knowing that, you know, I'm replacing a guy who big shoes to fill because he put up stupid numbers there, like video game numbers. And so they were very, um, they were very helpful for me. That was one big thing. Um, Another thing too, uh, that Nicholas, you touched on, it's kind of like the, you know, going into practice and all that stuff. Like once I started to learn that even over in the States, then when I got to Korea, it was much easier um, and really could just worry about baseball on the field. Yeah. And then Nick, you got some. Yeah. One one other thing I want to ask too is, you know, before you went there and before you made that decision to go play in Korea, which is completely different. How important was it to for you to have the support of your family to go there? Because I know you probably weren't with family when you were there. Man, that's that's another great question, man. Because I had just before I went over there, I had just gotten um, gotten married, and before I made the decision to go over there, we had I had talked to my wife, and she was adamant about not going. Like she had just gotten a new job. Um, she was making good money. And I was like, I was like, Hey, what, what about Korea? Like, and she was like, no, you can go, but I'll, I'm gonna chill here. And I was like, nah, there's no way I can, I can't go to another country and be per- expected to perform without having my wife there. So there was like a lot of discussion, a lot of like crying, a lot of praying, um, you know, and ultimately I, I, I joke around and I remember like one of my first TikToks was about like her slapping me in the face when I told her we're going to Korea. And basically that's what it was like. There was extreme disgust about going to Korea. And uh, ultimately we did. A, we talked a lot about it. And, um, you know, that one of the big things is knowing that one, I'll be with the team guaranteed contract. You're looking at setting your family up. Me and my wife, it was just me and my wife at the time. Hey, we can start to look at some houses, you know, really set ourselves up for the future. And ultimately, um, you know, she was right on board when it came down to it. She, I, and, and when I talked about diving into the culture, she was excited about that. I mentioned the YouTube earlier, like it, it's prime example of really how much fun she had over there. She was, she was just as much of a celebrity as I was, honestly. Yeah. And to touch on social media, you know, after your playing career was over, you really went head and you went straight into it. TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, anything with social media, you were there. How big was that, you know, for your brand and to get your name even farther out there? Yeah, it was it was huge, man. I just like honestly, after 2019, I told you guys about Mexico when I was playing in the Winter League after that season in Mexico. I was reading a lot of books because I was thinking about kind of that transition. And, you know, you hear this thing about putting out content and doing, doing what you love to do and all this stuff. And, and it it hit home with me because it was kind of like, 
you know, in order for me to use this brand and, and my platform to the best of my ability, um, I need to put out the things that I love to put out. I need to put show that show personality. I love I, I love this game, but also love being able to show different aspects of the game. And I think I can do that through my personality. And I, I just figured, let me just go hard at it. Just if I was like going at baseball, like giving all I had with that. And so really learned a lot about myself during that time and learned a lot about what I wanted to put out there. Um, still learning about that stuff today. But ultimately, um, it was something that I was interested in, but I didn't know that I was going to go this hard at it, you know, and, and really have been enjoying it um, and, and, ha- and have had a lot of support with it, too. So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that it's, it's gotten me this far. Yeah, you know, before you kind of started uh, transitioning into the whole social media uh, influencer type of life after playing, you did mention your career ended due to a very devastating injury, a torn Achilles. And um, what's what's the process like of rehabbing and coming back and making sure you're fully healthy, even though you know you're not probably going to come back and play anymore, mentally, emotionally, and physically? Man, that was tough. It was um, extremely frustrating, extremely difficult. I, I kept weighing with the fact of even thinking, man, why am I doing this recovery if I know that this is going to be a year-long recovery? I most likely come back, and it's going to take me, you know, months to even get back to baseball shape after that. So, excuse me, I was I was really frustrated during the time. But one thing I did know is I wasn't going to waste the time. Like that, it was during COVID. It was like, it it could have been the worst year of my life, right? But then I kind of sit back and I'm like, I'm going to have all this time to do different stuff or at least try some stuff. Why don't I dive into this podcast game? Why don't I dive into the social media? Why don't I dive into commentating and broadcasting and trying to get with ESPN and trying to get with MLB Network, MLB, whoever it may be? Um, Let me not waste that time. And I feel like, and I, I remember hearing somebody, I can't remember who it was, was like, it said something in 2020, it was like, and it was right when the pandemic hit, it was like, if you don't invest this time on making yourself better, like, you will never reap the benefits when this thing is over. So I kept thinking about that. I'm like, what do I need to do to invest this time in myself and make myself better? And ultimately, that was that was kind of the focus. Yeah. And I mean, it's, you, you've blown up man. a hundred thousand plus followers on TikTok, 20,000 plus on Instagram. You know, how big is that to see a community that supports you and loves you and appreciates the work that you do for them? No, it's, it's huge, man. And that's what it's all about is the community. And you got, you guys know, it's like, it, it, it does me no good if I'm just keeping all this stuff to myself, right? Like I got to be able to give back everything that I learned, Um, I want to continue to give back what I've learned, even on this media side, I've learned a lot. If you think about where I was last year, like, and where I've gotten to this year, it's like, I've made a huge jump just within a year that a lot of people go to school for like 10 years to, to learn how to do. And, um, so I'm very grateful for that, but at the same time, I want to be able to give that back. Um, I want to be able to learn what people like and be able to give that back. That's one thing that I've noticed about social media is a lot of times with social media and even influencers, creators, people in the baseball industry, multiple sports industries, 
is that they like to tell, they like to create the content that they want to create, which is really cool, but they neglect the suggestions, the advice, and the comments that people give them that they want to see. And so now I've realized that like, yeah, I'm, I'm the platform, but like the people that are the fans, the followers, um, the people that are supporters, like those are the ones creating it. Those are the ones giving me the ideas. Like, so it's been important for me to remember that. And that's how I think the community uh, is really evolved because it's like people that love that type of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Go ahead, Nick. Go ahead. Um, and you were, uh, you were talking a little earlier about, you know, you kind of seem to dip your feet in the water in many different things after playing. So for a lot of younger people who aren't really sure what they want to do in life, how important is it to just try new things? And then maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Yeah, man. I, I think I was just talking to somebody about this the, the other day, kind of a, a guy, I think he was like 23. Um, and he was kind of like trying to figure out what he wants to do. And I told him, like, honestly, I don't remember where I got this from, but it was like a YouTube or something. It was like, make a circle about the things that you like to do, write them down, make another circle, the things that you, um, that your friends tell you that you're good at doing. And like, whatever that circle combines together, like those are some really good things to kind of go after. And, um, and I think that's a good starting point for a lot of people that are trying to figure out what they want to do. And it's okay to not know like what you like to do, but like you said, you got to try to figure that thing out and you only figure it out by going and doing things that make you uncomfortable and doing things that you might fail at. Um, but ultimately you learn more about yourself. And I think that's, what's really tough about today is we, we expect like results so quick. We expect what we want so fast that it's hard to have patience doing those things. And if you allow yourself to have patience and try some different things out, you'll figure out what you're best at. You'll figure out where you can succeed at. Now I love stats. I don't know if that's pretty evident or not, but I love doing research. I love going back and, and kind of looking at the record books. Is that something that you like to do, Alex? If you think you know your career pretty well? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I hope. <laughs> I don't know 100%. That's what I like to do, but not my own career. All right. Well, we're going to put it to the test. I'm going to give you five major league players, and you can tell me if you got a hit or not off them in your major league career. Okay. I think, think I can get this it? one. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to start off with Bartolo Colon. No. Okay. Jeff Lockie. Yes. Oh, In fact, no, but, but this was a big at bat. Do you know what happened to the at bat after this Jeff Lockie at bat? You faced him once in your career. Dang. Uh, after that at bat, maybe. Did I hit the home? Did I yep. hit a home run? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. First no, home run. That was the home run. Bonus points. Nice. Can you tell me how far it went? Oh man, I have no idea. I'm gonna say like, I'm gonna say like three fifty seven, more. Oh, bro, you jacked it. Three eighty. Four twenty eight. According to Statcast. According to Statcast. That's what's up. According man, to Statcast. I need to put that out there. Seth Lugo. Seth Lugo. No, nah, he carved me up, man. Now you got to hit off him. He I did? doubled off him. He doubled the opposite way against him. Dang. Yep. I don't remember that one. Two more. Danny okay. Salazar. Salazar, no. No, I didn't get hit off him. Dude, you are not doing so hot. 
I got a knock off Salazar. How <laughs> do I forget this? I'm not good at this, man. I told you. I, Last one, Jake Arietta. Yeah, I know I got Jake Arietta. The reason why I know I got Jake is because we face each other a lot in college. And like that was one dude I wanted to get for sure. You got him in the Cy Young season, too. Yeah, he was nasty. Hey, he was nasty that season. He had that two seamer running in on the right handed hands. And I just got the hands inside, placed it. I think I want to place it over second base. Boom. For RBI single. Yep. Prime Jake was nasty. He was fun to watch. Nasty. He was fun to watch. That's going to wrap it up for us. I appreciate you so much for coming on. Um, I'm Micah Fleischman. That's Nick Bear. You can find this show on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. You can find us at the baseballplugpodcast.com. Me on Twitter at Micah underscore 0416. And you can follow me on Twitter at NicholasBear7 and on Instagram at NicholasGolfer. X, where can our listeners find you on social media? Hey, you can find me, Xavier underscore Scruggs, on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Go ahead and check your boy's YouTube out as well, Xavier Scruggs. Um, appreciate y'all. We appreciate you guys for coming in. Thank you guys for listening. Peace out.